Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. It's May 2002 and Roy Keane has left the Irish World Cup squad. In the team's Japanese hotel, Niall Quinn has been spending exhausting hours attempting to resolve the situation and get Roy back. It's supposed to be a glorious career swan song for Quinn. Instead, as he wrote in his autobiography, things are out of control. Football, which has always been a boyish pleasure, is suddenly a hard adult world. I've never taken it too seriously, but now, right at the end, this has got to me. <laughs> Quite a time, Niall. But before we get to that, let's talk about Roy, mm -hmm. um, who's a major character in your career for a number of reasons. There's a perception that would grow that he was the, you know, you were like yin and yang, opposites, <laughs> opposite personalities. Tell me where you first came across him, and was it always obvious that he was a bit different? Well, his energy was the first thing that struck me, how he could get up and down the pitch, how he could be so involved in a game, every bit of it, and at a young age, that referees were afraid of their lives of him. And that takes some doing, mm. you know. Um, he had a presence, in other words, right from the get-go, and he became very demanding of those around him, you know, at a, very, at a very young age. It was just in him. And it was uncomfortable for one or two. You know, you could say, who does this fella think he is? Uh, but then it started to, to play out, uh, he started to bring himself into a level that none of us had been at. And I think therein, you know, is, is uh, part of the problem that led maybe to this and that he was just so far ahead of the rest of us in his thinking about why we should be going, where we should be going, what we should be doing. But, but he was a young player coming through and so he's playing at, at Forest at, at the start and you're playing in the First Division as well and then he's coming into the Ireland squad. Like, was he... Was he always that the intense, driven, ruthless player off the field or in, in the training environment, or did he join in the crack and the, the you know the I, banter I with little, the lads yeah. as well? I, did, I didn't really know him before the um, before the move to Manchester United. He came to Manchester, obviously, and I can remember Kevin Moran and I uh, same combo down see Roy, but it wasn't like going to see one of the other Irish players that might have moved to Manchester. You know, um, this this fellow was different, and I remember coming away, Kevin and I had, had, had met him, and it's going, well, this this guy is serious, you know, and. Uh, he wasn't one then to say, like, you know, we'll ask him out to... The, the, the Irish club used to go to, mm. to the Ordre in, in Moss Side and places like that, <laughs> all the different Irish bars. And um, so, no, you know, Roy's driven and doing, doing his thing and you could see there was, there was a wall around him already, you know, that, and, and he was in there hell-bent and determined on getting to the top. You know, I, I can remember playing one game for Man City when he was literally running every part of the United team, you know, barking orders at everybody. Um, the moment I thought when I went, wow, this fella, you know, he really has got it, was not some outrageous skill, not a great tackle, whatever, not a great pass. Uh, a ball came across from a free kick, a corner kick, actually, it was. And we, we had a fullback called Franchek. He was a German guy who came, Martin Franchek. And he went up with Cantona for a header. It was a big, it was played too far to the back post. 
And he went up with Cantona for a header and, and Cantona kind of half fouled him. And the referee blew his whistle. And I was standing near and was there for it. And he roared at the referee, that's a terrible decision. How dare you give a decision like that? And the referee said to him, Roy, I haven't. It's a penalty for you. <laughs> and I went, what's happening? And Roy just went, yeah, bloody right it is. And he walked off and they got a penalty and they scored. And I looked at it and went, oh my God, that referee is scared stiff of Roy Keane. And, and from that moment, I knew this, this guy... His presence. The presence, the, the demanding nature of everything. He needed everything to be... You know, it wasn't just his teammates he wanted well. He wanted every single bit that could work for him. He wanted working the right way. And we were on the negative side of that that day, you know. I mean, it was, it, United got their penalty. And, and I think about that when people try and say, OK, what did, he, what did he bring to a team? Because people try and say, well, how many great passes did he make? Or how many great goals did he score? Um, I only have to remember that to know that, that that's not kicking a ball. That's not you know, lining yourself up in, in a tactical way. That's not even, you know, your, your training, your fitness, your, your determination. That's just presence. You've said in the past that when you start getting to know him within the Irish squad, like he's obviously different, but that you, there's something you like about him. There's the famous incident early in his time when he has a go at Mick on the bus. I think it's in, the, in America. Mick yeah. is the captain, of the, Jack's captain at that time and very highly respected Jackson Forcer, essentially, but that it, it told a lot about, about Roy. Yeah, that particular time we, we were all at the end of the season and we, we hadn't played great in, in the trip out there. Uh, Jack um, was kind of down about how we'd played. It was, um, I suppose it would have been, it might have been 92, maybe something like that. It was around, around the time Roy got in the team. I'm trying to think when Roy first got in the side. And uh, we went out to play in a tournament. We didn't quit ourselves very well. And we went on the beer for a day and a half afterwards. And some of us were late getting back to the bus and Jack had already gone to the airport and uh, left Mick in charge. And Mick, as we got on the bus one by one at the head office, you know, even though he was a player, you know, how dare you, you're a disgrace, you should know better, Niall Quinn, you know, who do you think you are coming this late, you know, Ronnie Whelan, who do you think you are, you know? And then it came to Roy and, and, and Mick just went, first trip, disgrace. And Roy just went, first touch, disgrace. <laughs> and the whole bus, the whole bus, went, oh my God, that's the most incredible comeback I've ever heard. And you were kind of rooting for him in one way. Now, I know we're all great friends with Mick, but it was, wow, this, this bloke's afraid of nothing, you know, because Mick would have been tougher to deal with than Jack. Because Mick was, you know, that, that stubbornness, that toughness was coming at you and it's all laid out in front of you and he's, he's criticised. And we were late, we were bang out of order. Mick Byrne had packed for us. We'd forgotten to pack. And Mick Bourne went into every room and threw things in bags and brought them. None of us even knew if we had all our clothes. But we, we, were, we were, you know, taken aback, I think, by, by that we all got on the bus, sobered up immediately and went, wow, that was incredible, did you hear that? Like, you know, and you could see everyone, oh, God, I can't believe he said that. You know, and so yeah. you knew then he wasn't here for the ride. He, he, was, he was here to make a huge impression. And um, I have to say, uh, you know, people say, oh, he had to go with you, have a go back. It's very hard to do that when you know that there were games that we played in Unfair on the other players to say that he, he won them single-handedly for us, but we wouldn't have won them without him. He comes in as a young player, he becomes the dominant player in the Irish team. The, the perception, I don't know if, if it's what he holds himself, is that he's trying to do things the right way and that you guys are, are the sort of, the, the rest of the squad are sort of like a jolly boys outing kind of thing, which, you know, not expecting the same standards, not demanding, which I'm sure mm -hmm. that must rankle because you were all professionals in your own right and that was a kind of a characterization that would come out in the media in the aftermath of yeah. Saipan eventually. So yeah. mm -hmm. the perceptions that he would have had or that people on the outside would have had, like how fair or unfair were them in the years leading up to Saipan? So the narrative got there after the event. 
but none of us felt we were rag arse rovers um, and weren't bothered about how it went. Uh, we found it difficult that he would be so uh, alarmingly aghast at what was going on out there, given that for all our international matches for the last couple of years, he was only coming in sometimes on the Tuesday. Mm. And we were all in on the Saturday. So we had this specialist status, this privileged status in the team for a couple of years. So it was difficult, I think, for him to say things aren't done right when he wasn't there all the time. But he got special privilege. And some funny things come out of it. I remember doing a thing, Ruby Walsh on TV, saying, oh, Roy Keane got you on the, on the, uh, the first-class seat. So, no, he didn't. It was done long before he came to the team. You know, so the people who did that, and I was involved in it, you know, um, and, I, and yeah. I remember saying, come on, guys, you have to give us the leg room for, for long flights. We had that conversation. But the myth has it that Roy That's did. the way the story yeah. and comes so out. And so this is what happens when the narrative goes And, and you know, it, it, you describe it in your, in your book, which was written shortly after the time, that, you know, you said, Roy will have me down as too soft, too nice, too much of a goody-goody, too damn happy with my lot. Football's version of the singing nun. Like, this is a perception. This is <laughs> I the, had to sell a book at the time, Tommy. <laughs> <laughs> my career was over. But, you know, this is a perception. And this is, the, you know, the, the, the sort of the Mother Teresa stuff mm. that came out. And, you know, you, you talked about how he could be hurt, how he could cut to the quick with his tongue, which came out in Saipan. He did it with Mick on the bus with the first touch. You're getting, you, you, know, you, you get the brunt of, of that as well. So are you sort of as, as understanding uh, at the time of, of I, I would have, yeah. Um, do you know what? Gillian laughed. And when she laughed, that kind of killed it already. He's like, oh, God, what do you have to say? Like, and she <laughs> laughed her head off. And, yeah. uh, and I went, you know what? Freaking, it was a good one. It was a good yeah. one. <laughs> you know, I'll give him that. It was a good one. Just to set the scene for, for 2002 for you and for the country, if you like, you know, you'd had the personal frustration of missing 94 with the, with the injury. The team had agonisingly missed Euro 2000 qualification. It was a big moment for Mick, for the, all the squad, for Roy, who'd driven the team there, and for the whole country at the time, wasn't it? So that was the sort of the... It was you huge, know, and yeah. for you, the swan song of your career, yeah. coming into this, all these emotions boiling up uh, well, well, in, in one little island in, in the Pacific. Yeah, it was all meant to be a perfect send-off for me. I was, I was granted a testimonial, which I had, which the players met up for for the trip to play in. Uh, Roy didn't, but everybody else did, and uh, that was great. That was the end of my career, and um, nice way to do it. Then go off and do my international stuff, and I'll see how far we can go. If I'm needed, I'm needed. If I don't play, it's not, you know, it's because we're doing well. It means Robbie and Damien are going good, David Connolly, these people, Clinton Morrison, but um, I'm there as an old cheerleader to make sure things are okay. And um, obviously, that fell apart then, you know, a week, 10 days later, but it did and wish I was equipped to deal with it better. Mm. And looking back, there's not lots of things I would have done differently, and I'm sure everybody would have in every part of it. But, uh, you know, I think the bit that I like to think about most, because it, it doesn't bother me, having, it doesn't interest me, say, you know, having cuts of people, digging back, whatever, trying to work it out, is how well people stepped up to the plate at a difficult circumstance and difficult time, you know? Um, I'm talking about the, the, the Mark Kinsels of this world, the Gary Breens of this world, you know, Kenny Cunningham's, um, that said, right, okay, we're, we're under the cosh here. You know, we have a manager who's been put through the mill and we have a situation back home and here because, you know, it, it, was, it was so big. Mm. Uh, and we can't do anything about it while we're here other than play well. And everybody bought into it. And I think the, 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 the best thing I can say about that group of players, and I was a part player, I come on a sub a bit, um, was that they were determined at that point, that their football would be remembered in the midst of the biggest story probably in football since maybe Maradona's handball against England. And that they achieved that. 
I think was remarkable that Robbie had the tournament he had, that Duffer had the tournament he had. You know, that the players played Gary Breen and, and the, 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 you know, the performances that, that took place, you know, and Steve Staunton, who, who led them at times as well as a leader. Um, it, was, it was pretty remarkable, I think, when I look back to say, with everything that was going on, how players who probably weren't as fashionable as Roy, you know, in terms of you know, what, what the world of football thought about Ireland, but yet they were able to wear the green jersey in the most difficult of circumstances, A, with such pride, but B, to play so well in it and to, uh, and to at least show that we had a half-decent football team. And then the other bit is the aftermath. How, with a team emerging of, of, with Damien and Robbie and Richard Dunn coming into the fold and John O'Shea coming into the fold, that all these players were about to, you know, to really become proper international players, given where we were, and that how Spain, who we brought to within a whisker of beaten, went on to win the Euros and the World Cup, and yet we fell apart. But what I witnessed in my career when we had Roy Keane at full fettle, they, they were days when we could play anyone and take anybody on. Mick was also an issue. And I don't think people realise this, but as, as the swell went to get Roy back, Mick then said, hang on a minute, I'm the manager. Mm. And that was the bit really as, as, that I wasn't ready for. This Mother's Day, celebrate the extraordinary women in your life with a heartfelt gift from Blue Nile. Whether it's for your mom, a mother figure, or yourself as a mom, find that perfect piece to express your love and appreciation. Explore Blue Nile's exquisite pearls and mesmerizing gemstones that she's sure to love. Enjoy fast shipping options like guaranteed free shipping and returns. Make this Mother's Day unforgettable with a piece from Blue Nile. Right now, get up to 50% off at BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. I think it's reached the end now. The players, especially the younger players, can't take anymore. It had to come to this. I'm just so devastated because we came so very close. The, the legacy of Saipan, you, you've sort of s spread out, and <laughs> maybe it's like the French Revolution. You know, you'll still be <laughs> still be saying it's too early to tell what the the impact of it was. You have this um, press conference where you come out and you have to speak, and, and it's you, you know, I mean, you, you know, that line about in your book about it's the end of the the boyish pleasure of football. This is a whole different horrible yeah. world. Um, it, is, is that ultimately because you just couldn't put it back together? You just couldn't fix the situation Poss as possibly, much as you wanted but, to? But I also, and any time I thought like that, I also thought, Jesus, I wonder how Roy is feeling. Mm. You know, he must be in a, in a dreadful place altogether. So um, I was feeling bad, but he was the real sufferer. And I, I didn't speak to him at that time, but I was speaking hourly to Michael Kennedy. And Michael was... was also, you know, making effort to see how we could do this. Who represented both, represented you and both Roy. of us at, at yeah. a particular time, yeah. So um, 
it was it was uh, bleak as I look back. I try not to look back on things that 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 uh, I'm uncomfortable with. I try and put them out of my mind. I forget names. People think I'm, I'm lying and stuff. I don't. I've, I'm good at blocking out bad stuff, and, and I, I concentrate on good stuff. But um, what I would say about that particular time, and, and you know, in dealing with Michael and wondering where it was, is you know that Mick was also an issue. And I don't think people realise this, but as, as the swell went to get Roy back, Mick then said, hang on a minute, I'm the manager. Mm. And that was the bit, really, as, as, that I wasn't ready for. I thought Mick would be delighted to see him back, that we get the whole thing settled. And because of the way things were, were to and thrown, and he, Mick and his agent, his people were doing different things, I was where I was, I hadn't allowed for the fact that, do you know what, Mick might want him back. And there was that story that was, you know, can we get him back? Does Mick want him back? And we as players then thought, you know, everything Roy had done for us, you know, and, and as players, you know, we've we got we to try and do this and make sure that, that he knows that we're on his side and we want to come back. And, and Mick got winning and he wasn't very happy with that. So now we're in a position where, you know, Mick could be deciding to go home. He'd mm. say, well, if you can have him, do you, you, you know, Mick stubborn. I mean, oh my God, what have we gotten ourselves into here? And so as, as I remember then we had to, you know, Mick, Mick called a meeting and demanded that we said, did we want him as a manager or what, where, where were we going? In other words, it was that I was getting too busy with trying to bring the whole thing back. So as, as we, we, we agreed then that before training, we would uh, back Mick if we know, because we, we were hoping we'd, we'd find out for definite whether Roy was coming back. But we would be able to say after Roy had decided that, you know, look, we're right behind Mick mm. and sorry that Roy's not here. But uh, someone in the FAI gave that to the press before the training session finished. And um, that, was a, that was a killer blow. And we, 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 were, we were shocked when we heard that. But that in tells you some of the stuff that was... Because it looked like... It looked like power. we were saying, we would make Roy, you, you stay well. But there was another play to go before that should ever have yeah. got to light. That was only an event at the end. Uh, that was only a, a statement that was made at the end when we know that it's definitely all over. But what happened was it was used to make it all yeah. over. And that, uh, that's, that's a big regret um, that I have. But it, it affected Roy far more than anybody probably affected Mick too and everything that he's gone mm. through. And he, as he says himself, people ask him about it all the time and he gets annoyed with it, um, etc. It, 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 look, it's had an enduring legacy of what if, you know, had he, had he been fit, strong, playing and leading us, you know, could we have gone further than we did? What if? What if? Um, I, I, my what if is more, because my last, penalty, my last game was against Spain, I didn't take a penalty. And I, I played, uh, I think, at 92 games for my country. Uh, I think all in all, I had about 650 games in football and I should have taken one more kick, one more penalty. But such was the exuberance of the youngsters by this stage. They'd gone from being demoralised mm. on the way back from Saipan to uh, now believing they could nearly win this and they'd be heroes. And there was a, an expression to take penalties. About eight or nine of them, I'll take one, I'll take one, I'll take one. So when it all settled down, I said, Mick, I'll take the sixth one. I took one in Wembley, the sixth one, when it got really nervy. And, uh, and playoffs. And I'll do that. And Mick went, that, yeah, that'll do for me. And so the others went in. And then afterwards, I went, one more kick. That's all I needed. And my what if now, or how I, and this happens once a month in my life. I wake up in the middle of the night. It's the same every time. My penalty gets us through. And I jump up to the railings afterwards in the place over there. And then we beat Korea easily <laughs> because they play the long ball to me. I keep my place against South Korea. We're in the semi-final, we're against Germany again, they're afraid of their lives of me, and we're about to get into the final to play Brazil, and then I, I wake up and we're, and we're here where we are. That happens regularly. It still you, does. Are you serious that still happens? 
My God. Mm -hmm. <laughs> that's, that's incredible. <laughs> I don't think about um, any other game I ever played. Later, you know, you, you'd get to know Roy a bit better. Well, you certainly work with him. And he would hint in his later sort of reflections on it in his second book, maybe, that he kind of felt in retrospect he was too much enthralled to Alex Ferguson and his priorities with United at the time. And there was just a hint of regret from him that he didn't sort of realise at the time that, that what the other game was going on with the club versus country thing. Do you think, reading between the lines with him, I, that that's how he feels now? I, I'm, I'm not quite sure that, that I, I'm able to say it for him, but what I could yeah. say for myself is when Howard Wilson came to Sunderland and turfed me out, I felt like it was the greatest injustice in the history mm. of, of, of football. And so you develop a, a sense of anger um, at that time. I mean, I, I felt I'd given my heart and soul to Sunderland. I had uh, nine months left on my contract. Peter Reid had made me assistant manager. So I felt this is my world, I'm gonna be a coach now. And Howard Wilkinson came in and went, right, we're not having you. Let it die down for a few weeks and we'll give you a free transfer. You can go wherever you want. And, and it really, I, I all I've done here, and, and, and the build up to that was I, was I was preparing the team until the new manager came. So I was the caretaker, even though there wasn't a match. And the chairman every day had been ringing me about who's gonna be Mickey Adams, it was going to be Mick McCarthy. And he was ringing me every night, which one do you think? Oh, I'm going to go Mickey Adams. Oh, no, I'll tell me about Mick McCarthy. And I, you know, and I, I didn't want to be seen to be swaying it one way, but I spent uh, an hour one Wednesday, on the Wednesday night, I think it was, or the Tuesday night, speaking to the chairman and uh, put the phone down. And the next morning, I come in early to pick, to pick the team. And uh, the kit man says, Howard Wilkinson is the new boss. And I remember saying to him, that's why you're a kit man and I'm taking the first team. <laughs> <laughs> right? And I went out and we trained and halfway through training, the club secretary stopped training, called me over and went, Howard Wilkinson has just been made the new manager. And I went, wow, chairman has done me a kipper there. Mm. He spent an hour on me last night between Mick and Mickey Adams. And uh, I had to wait around, he said he'd come and see me. He eventually saw me at five o'clock. Um, he walked in and threw the tennis nets down, got the groundsman to take the, the head tennis nets away, which I'd put up for all the kids, had done since I got there. So all our kids would play the first team, inter intermix first team players with, with kids, with the uh, under 18s, etc. And uh, he walked in the gates and went, get these down now. So I knew I wasn't in a great place. And the rage I had, because he did that to me, and at five o'clock he told me I was no longer part. So Roy might have had a bit of that, I think, after all, because he, he had done big, big things for Sir Alex, for Manchester mm. United. And Fergie hasn't always been brilliant to those who've done the, who've done the work for him. So, so, so that's a natural reaction, and I can see it, and I feel from, and I know what he what he went through. His much bigger than mine, but that is a player's reaction. When you think you've you've done something, you've led something further than it could ever have done, without you, which is what you know in, in your own big head. That's what you think you did at Sunderland. It, in my case, fairly just whew, no time now for Roy Keane move on, and that hurt. And maybe at that point, you know, at this point, well, you know, it affected so many other things, including the. Uh, the World Cup in 2002, so maybe that's where he's coming from, but it, it would make sense. I went up to the boardroom, knocked on the door to speak to the chairman. The vice chairman came out and said, he doesn't want to speak to you, Niall. He knows you're in, in foul humour. And I just went, uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going home, but tell him I'll be back one day. And he went, oh, yeah, that'd be great, Niall. We'd love to have you back as a manager here, maybe. And I went, no, I'll be coming back to run the club. Nineteenth of October two thousand and two, Sunderland lose one nil at home to West Ham, and that would be the last time that you'd 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 played the game, which had made you a star, given you a good living, um, and, and and so many happy memories um, over the decades that that you'd had. Um, 
Upon finishing now, just going back to what you'd written in your book at the time, you said 20 years in the game and you were as happy as when you started out. That was the secret, being happy. At the time, did you realise how much of your identity and that happiness was wound up in being a, in a, in being a footballer? And when that was taken away from you and when you retired, how much of that happiness left you? Well, I, I'd done zero preparation for a career transition. So first and foremost, after the row with Howard Wilkinson, uh, there was a gap of about 10 days before the first game. I stayed away and uh, eventually he called me in on the Friday before the first game and he said, I'm playing you tomorrow. And I felt he was trying to make a fool of me. And uh, I went, you're just trying to make me look bad in front of the fans because you're getting a lot of stick because they know I'm not training, they know I'm not involved. And uh, he went, no, 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 no. I went, it's okay, if, you, if you're serious, I'll go on the bench and if you need me, I'll go on. And I went on with 20 minutes ago and I played really well. I should have scored an equaliser. Kevin Kyle actually fouled me as I was about to score. He was one of our own players. And uh, afterwards he pulled me and he said, um, I might have got it wrong about you. You and I need to sit down and chat. And me being, thinking I know everything went, no, you had your chance, I'm gone. And I went up to the boardroom, knocked on the door to speak to the chairman. The vice chairman came out and said, he doesn't want to speak to you, Niall. He knows you're in, in foul humour. And I just went, uh, okay, well, I'm, I'm, I'm going home, but tell him I'll be back one day. And he went, oh, yeah, that'd be great, Niall. We'd love to have you back as a manager here, maybe. And I went, no, I'll be coming back to run the club. And he laughed, and I went, okay, we'll see. And three years later, I did it. So in that period of three years, my head went in all sorts of directions. Mm. And I wasn't ready for any transition. I had a lovely few weeks when I came back home. Um, we, we, it took us a few months to come home after that. But I came home the following spring, April time, actually. Uh, the Special Olympics were on. It was, there was a heat wave in the country. Everyone I knew was playing golf. I thought, wow, this country's unbelievable. This is nothing like England. <laughs> and uh, for, for four or five weeks, six weeks maybe, um, I thought, wow, this is great. And then it hit. You know, the routine is gone. Uh, the pat on the back is gone. The lights are gone out. You're not in the papers anymore. Million one things I, I could point to that I just didn't understand. And I became very introverted for, for a long time and even stopped playing golf with people and would go to the driving range of my own. Um, no, I wasn't bad now. Players had it a lot worse than me. A lot of players had it, had it worse than me. And, you know, I can remember getting asked by um, Jeff Shreves, who I knew well from the football world, come and do a bit of Sky for us. And I, I wouldn't do it. And James, well, you have to do something, you know. So um, I remember just so set against it. Uh, football, I was anti football at that time. As Why was that? Uh, did I you felt feel the game? I felt the game had spat me out. Yeah, you know, and You're I. Bitter. Had, yeah, and I had, um, I had allowed it to, and I didn't see it coming, and I started to find, you know, in my social life, I was, I was going to, was, you know, into Nace near where we lived. There was a couple of pubs there that I would go most nights. So there was a pub up in Ballymore, and um, I just found myself in this feeling sorry for myself routine for months and months and months. And you were drinking a lot at the time, Yeah, I was drinking far more than, than I would have, you know, I'm well able to drink, I was always able to drink, but I was, this was no time to start getting better at it, you know? Yeah. Um, and so I had, a, I had a funny time of it, and Jeff asked me to go over, and I remember one time they booked the flights, they did everything, and I got out to Dublin Airport and I turned back, and um, I told Julian I couldn't do it, and I told Jeff that the flight was cancelled, but I should have known, they'd have known the flight wasn't cancelled, but... They persevered with me anyway, and eventually I got over, and, and I can remember almost hiding, going in, trying to get into the, to the um, studio, which was a, a, a suite in, in the club itself, trying to get there in a way that I wouldn't catch anyone's eye who wouldn't see me. I felt an outcast. I just didn't feel I belonged to football. And, of course, those who, who take the brunt of it, most of your family, you know. Yeah. The last thing that my family needed was me to turn into this wreck feeling sorry for himself, you know. Um, and, in fairness, Gillian recognised it, and... Uh, you know, she, she, she obviously had a, a circle of friends 
And they were all going through the same issues, same problems. And our marriage stood the test of it, thankfully. Um, but lots of our friends didn't. And, and it was all between that age, you quit 35 to 40. Um, disastrous amount of, of relationships had, had folded. Um, great friends of ours thought, every, thought they were far rock, more rock solid than us. And Gillian started to look at it. Uh, she went back to college. She did a psychology degree. And, and she's now doing a doctorate on the, the sports career transition of footballers and why, why the three quarters of their marriages are gone within three years of, uh, or three or five years of, um, of finishing. So it's not a problem for the outside world. Yeah. You know, I'm not looking for sympathy here. But it's something you're stretch. passionate about and you're, as a family. Yeah, because I, I just know other players, the lot goes, you know. Um, marriage goes, income goes, reason for living goes, and, uh, and a bitterness creeps in with people and it leads to us. Look, there's, there's been suicides, there's been lots. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a bit of a taboo subject because football clubs don't like to... to prepare their players for finishing, they want to think that they can keep going forever. So you don't have this natural progression into your next career, which perhaps you do in rugby, you know, where mm. they're preparing you for a life in the financial world or the legal world, or you go to college and football is, hey, get in the bus, go to games, get as much money yeah. as you can. Um, nobody stops you to prepare yourself. And um, I think it, it will change because the fall is so big. The players are so famous now and they're earning so much money that when it falls apart. Just, just following the, the story since since day one, by the way, it's, it's worth mentioning, like you said, you had a lot of lucky breaks with managers and, and moves and, and things like that. How big a lucky break was Gillian, by the way? Because when you had the first cruciate, you know, you said she stopped you drinking yourself to death and, you know, settling you down in your wild younger years. But at this time... Yeah, um, uh, listen, uh, I speak about other players and I'm like, love to tell you it was all perfect, you know, <laughs> and, and she went, but she, she'll say she was. <laughs> mm. But, uh, you know, I was a problem, of course I was. You selfish. Um, yeah, I would have thought so. Yeah, it's, it comes with the, you know, the, the, the nature of being a, a professional footballer and your name in lights for a long time. You get ideas about yourself and you do get selfish. And, uh, and she persevered and she, and she put up with a lot. And, um, you know, the road was rocky at times. And uh, she was the one who did all the, the flattening of the, cur of, the, of the bumps and the, the straightening of the curves. So um, delighted now. We're, we're 30 years together, over 30 years. And um, there's nothing at all, I or any of us do, without almost running it past her. Mm. You know, and that's, that's some stuff that she doesn't even know about. So do you think this is the right thing to do? Um, she's got a wise old head and, uh, you know, she, she has, um, yeah, she's been, been of enormous value to me and... To I, say I, the least. To say the least, yeah. And, and I think, um, you know, you, you can, like we were put together as a footballer model couple, you know, and uh, Ireland was kind of, beginning to get Celtic Tiger-ish in the early 90s when we got married. And, um, you know, we were seen as some kind of celebrity couple. And uh, Gillian made sure that that was, uh, that was bullshit for the papers and that we had, um, that we had a, I suppose, a, a pattern and routine between ourselves and an understanding with our family that there was um, certain rules. I broke a good few of them. She broke none, you know, but I broke, I broke most of them. Uh, but she held, she held me to account and eventually straightened me up enough to, uh, to, to kind of let me off out my own to the world, which, which I, you know, I go off and do my, my stuff now. And uh, whether it's here, you know, which is, which is a fabulous um, role for me to have. I, I absolutely fell on my feet coming here at Verge Media. You know, A, it's, it's near where we are, but B, it just gave me a chance to express myself the way, the way I wanted to that I might not have been able to in the past. Um, that's great. Uh, I got involved in other sort of types of uh, businesses. And um, all the while, she's been very supportive. Yep, go for it. Go for it. There's been no, like, 
do this, you must do this, you must do that. And uh, at the same time, keep me right, but give me a, a chance to, to see out and do important things, things that I want to wake up every day and jump out of bed to do. They drew up a list and Roy wasn't on it. I said, Sean, I'm going to go into this meeting here. I don't want to make a fool of myself. What do you think if I... And he went, brilliant. You've, you've nailed it. That's the one. And make sure you don't make up them because it'll keep the story going for the next five years if you're fighting all the time. <laughs> <laughs>
I thanked him and we went into the meeting and as soon as I mentioned, well, a couple of people were shocked. Yeah. But a couple of people went, yeah, let's try it. And um, then we had the serious meeting. Now we're getting near the finish line and we have to go over the line. And we went over the line thinking Roy was coming in. And then very near the date of going over the line, it was, he, he, it turned out he wasn't. And so I literally said, okay, well, I'll take it for now. Um, we'll back people off. And that was a great decision because we were still trying to buy the football club. And I can remember my first day there, we had to, we had to have 90% of the agreement among the shareholders for the deal to go through. And we had got about 87, 88, which meant we had to ring shareholders, the other 13%. But because it was a PLC, these were people who bought 50 quids worth and 100 mm. quids worth. So there was thousands of them. And having done all the press, you know, for the, for the first day or two, that, that we, well, maybe the first day, two, we, three days afterwards, uh, I can remember picking up the Sunderland Evening Echo or the Sunderland uh, Echo and um, looking at it and the front page was a picture of all the chairmen of the club that they ever had. Is this man up to it? And I got a jolt because I'd never stopped to think about what the people would think mm. and what the city is thinking. And we were, in, we were in real bad way and we were trying to get people in, but at this stage we'd managed through Michael Kennedy to, to get Roy back into Bogue, that he might do it. And um, What was the conversation like with Roy? Because you hadn't spoken since... Well, well we, we'd, we'd met in the build-up to when we thought he was coming in mm. and that he might, might have come straight in, but he, he decided he wanted to go on holiday and he just quit from football and he needed some time. So that was fine. Um, we met uh, in... Sean Moran's house actually in Wicklow and uh, it, it was we were all there Drumbo guys were there and Roy came in and uh, Roy just said it's okay if Niall and I have a chat first and I went don't go too far lads you know <laughs> but it was always just look are we going to do this we're going to do it put things behind us let's go for it and yeah that's exactly what I was hoping you'd say and, and that's that's where where we did it where we kind of that's the way we tried to do it and, and I let him I'd, I'd like to think I'd like to think he he knows I did it as, as chairman, I did it in a way that would help him the most. Mm. Uh, didn't interfere and tried as, as I could to think what was best, knowing what I knew as a player, but also knowing what I had to know in terms of making the books balance, etc. Look, there were times you wanted lots of money for players, and I'm there saying, "Look, Roy, we can't. This is the way. This, you know, you, you, you have those conversations, but then you also see him, you know, uh, um, and I would say at his best. And, and, and the, yeah, why, why did it work for? If, for Roy at Sunderland? Because Roy not only lifted our dressing room, which was, had a losing mentality, went down with the lowest points total ever um, twice in the last three years. They got up, Mick had managed to bring them up in the middle of that, but they'd broken their own record for being the worst team ever in the Premier League twice. So it was a losing mentality. And those, those who, um, who, who were there didn't want to be there. When I joined, you know, the first four players I spoke to, I saw them all one, the first day and I went in, the first four handed me transfer requests. Mm. So you, you, you imagine what you're inheriting there. Now also imagine Sunderland, as you, as you know, I've been telling you and you'll know from the documentaries that I've done it, how important the, the Sunderland um, Football Club is to the people up there and they're negative. So it was a tough place, but there was a bit of belief in the air because I'd come in, but then Roy comes in through the doors. And not only does he lift a dressing room and turn that losing mentality into one that's now suddenly got a conscience about itself and is going to perform, he's turned the city. And the city now begin to believe that they have a big club again. And that was huge. And by his presence, that's all he had to yeah, do. Yeah, he, he said in his book that you were bringing him round to try and sell season tickets to fan, you know, functions, fan events, which he says, I would normally hate that kind of thing, but I actually really loved it. Well, I have to, I have to tell you one of, the, one of the best memories I have. I have two I want to tell you, but the, the one I want to tell you about that particular night, you know, the, the, I gave the, the banqueting, head of banqueting to a, to a young lad, a great character. Uh, he was nowhere near the pecking order, but 
he, he just worked so hard and, and he, he was a great guy, Gary Hutchinson. Gary said to me, I'm having an event for all the wealthy people in the Northeast. It's going to be a great event. I need Roy there. I went, oh, geez, here we go. You know, so this is going to be the first test mm. in the first couple of months, you know. So I rang Roy and I, and I said, um, listen, you don't have to do this. And, you know, I'm typical Roy. I went, what makes you think I wouldn't do it? And I went, you're right, actually. Yeah, my fault. And he went, I'll be there. And I went, great. So say we to be there at half seven, whatever time, I don't know. Anyway, we're all there, all these luminary businessmen, you know, that in the Northeast, in the Northeast Chamber, and all, you know, the sheriff of this, you know, we were quite a big gathering to sell boxes. And uh, we were all there anyway, and uh, looking at a watch, hoping Roy would come, you know. And Roy breezed in, a room full of hugely successful business people, men and women, politicians, fell silent. Never seen anything like it, the room stopped. And he walked up to where Gary and I was, and went, um, so what have I to do? So well, we just here, just talk to people. So it's like, you know, oh, okay, I'll speak to these. And he went over to this, <laughs> these, these lovely people. So you Sunderland fans, yeah, yeah, yeah. Then the murmur started again. People started talking again in the background. And I was just listening to him and he went, so are you buying a season? Are you buying a box or what? Well, well, well yeah, okay, we'll, we'll buy it then and stop talking about it. <laughs> and he moved on to the next one. And he moved on to the next one. And he moved on to the next one. And he sold 25 boxes. <laughs> he took 500,000 out of their pockets that night. He walked out the door. And they all stood and gave him a big clap. <laughs> now, that's not normal. Yeah. That's just incredible. So when people say, have a go at Roy Keane, he's had a go at you. I've seen things like that that are yeah. just incredible. And the second thing I want to tell you about is a football. That, you know, um, we worked very hard at the Christmas. Even though we didn't have a lot of money, the, the, and, and fair play to Charlie Chalks and, and Louis Fitzgerald of this world, Sean Ryan, they all, they all ponied up to buy us a chance to have a go at getting up in the summer. And we, we, we bought players. We bought three players at Christmas. Um, Anthony Stokes w w was one of them but it was great and we made the effort to do them and we got them and they were going playing their first game and we get to the ground and all very well uh, I think we were in Barnsley if my, if my memory serves me well and it was a bit of a local derby for us because there was no Newcastle or Middlesbrough so it was the nearest fans so we had brought uh, 12,500 fans and the Barnsley Seagulls had moved to, to the one end we took three of the away ground and they were absolutely convinced that we were going to go up that year so the, the fun was brilliant 12,500 away fans a whole lot and I go to Leeds airport pick the lads up Charlie, Louie and a few others and we get to Barnsley and we're in having a drink wait for the game to start and the PR girl comes in can I have a word and yeah he went, um, Roy has sent three new signings home <laughs> I went what's what geez, the lads have just put their money in their pocket this is them to see the fruits of their, of their gift to the club I went you're joking I went yeah they were late for the bus I went oh my god have we enough for the bench? Went, yeah, he's brought three kids up from the U team game and, and we got the bench. I said, so the three signings, the one, you know. So I had to go back into the, to the, uh, to the boardroom and say, lads, you know the players we bought? Um, yeah, and it's great. You to, yeah, they ain't playing today. And he went, why not? They went, Roy has sent them home. They were late for the bus. And he went, they, like, they, were, they were shocked. And I went, brilliant. Just brilliant. And they didn't know whether it was or not, but they were saying, <laughs> well, we're, we're in now. Yeah. It's going to be brilliant. And we went out there and word went through the stadium, what had happened. It was in, you know, build-ups to matches on radios, etc. And the atmosphere that day was incredible. 12,500 out of 16,000 stadium. And they all knew what had happened, and it was incredible. And the players were just magnificent on the day. Uh, Dwight York had the game of his life. And we won convincingly. And it was incredible. And at that stage, then, what happened, I, I normally would bring the guys back to the airport and drive home. They, they got a lift from somebody. So I was now driving up to the northeast on my own. And I was getting into the car out in the back of the car park, and Roy happened to walk past me. And I, I just kind of, you know, we didn't have a lot. We never had 
that many meetings, but I went, well done. And he went, yeah, yeah, just boys need a bit of discipline in this club. Mm. Yeah, and I went, yeah, fair play. And he just got in his car and drove off and, and I just went, wow, he had a crowd, he had the palm of his hand. They were singing mm. to, to the song of Hey Jude, you know, they were singing uh, uh, Roy Keane, you know. And um, they sang it for half an hour after the match. And I remember going up the motorway and you'd never listen to the BBC or whatever, you know, the, the, the phone in because unless you won 5-0, you wouldn't yeah. listen because you're going to get it somewhere. And I, I thought, I'm going to listen to it today. And the amount of Sunderland fans that were ringing in and talking and praising him, this is what we need, this is what this club needs, discipline, we've entered the players, this is the man for us. And I'll never forget that, that, you know, we were a championship team dominating the airwaves on the call-ins. And that's, that's what he wrote. And, you know, yeah. within, within a short space of time, Chelsea magic. interested in signing Roy Keane as manager. Like, that was all within six months. Things would obviously take a turn and, and you, 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 he would leave and, and, and you would eventually Not leave. Not before he got us into the Premier League. Into the Premier yes, League, yeah. yeah. And um, you described that time as one of, the most, one of the hardest, most challenging, but most exhilarating times of your life. Unfortunately, we're, we're out of time. There's so many football stories of, <laughs> of yours that, that we could tell. Can I just ask you to sum up then, mentioned at the start that you know you enjoyed you felt you enjoyed lucky breaks in your life that you were always the optimist in, in 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 any dressing room you were in that we could turn this around lads and like your hero jack doyle that you mentioned that you like to walk on the the sunny side of the street in life is that still the case to to, to end yeah i think uh, so sometimes i get i get all wound up and get a bit negative and and that happened when i went back into the fai for a little while because i, I was so fed up with, with the way things had been happening not with the association itself but maybe the outward view and, and people not not um not really pulling the, the same weight as, as as i was uh, in terms of trying to get the thing better and so i, I you know i let it i let that I, I let that get to me a little bit but um you know generally i'm, I'm out of it a few weeks now and I'm, I'm doing what i want to do and I've, I've come back to college. I'm, doing a, a, I'm studying history, which I love, and I'm having a great time at that. Um, I'm, I'm making decisions for myself now, not other people. But um, I guess uh, overall, where I am now, I was the luckiest bugger alive. I mean, the two goals that stood out for me, that, that meant everything to me, was my debut goal against Liverpool. Bruce Grobelaar threw it out to me, fumbled, and I scored. And Hans van Breuklin in a World <laughs> Cup threw a ball out to me and I scored. But I followed in because Pat Rice was always happy to follow in. He said, one day you might get one goal that you'll remember forever. Well, I've got two out of it that I remember forever. And um, I went through what I thought was a brilliant time but wasn't really sure until this year, funny enough, I saw what 1990 really meant because mm. we weren't here for it all. And we saw the, the, the impression it made in the nation and then obviously Jack's passing to being around in his time, Howard Kendall... You know, Mick McCarthy, who, who as a player and manager, uh, Peter Reid, who, who, you know, had such success with, to be lucky to be in with, with characters. But, but the greatest look of all is being part of a strong dressing room, being part of a great dressing room. The Irish one was exceptional um, by comparison to other international dressing rooms where you come in for a few days and you head out, but ours was a family, it was different. And, and I have to say, you know, Sunderland, what, what we had, the time Phillips was around um, and where we were, because we were playing beyond our abilities. There's no doubt about that. None of us ever played any good like that again, wherever. Even though I quit, others went. We, just, we didn't get somebody to go bigger. We just all maxed out at the same time because we had a, we'd abandoned that dressing room to die for. And um, if you were to say, is there one thing I miss, be that dressing room. Now, it's, uh, it's been a great story. Thanks for telling oh, us well, it. Thank, thanks for putting up with me.
When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient, which makes you less busy. Mail checks, invoices, legal documents, and everything you need to keep your business running with Stamps.com. Seamlessly connect with every major marketplace and shopping cart. Schedule package pickups and see your cheapest and fastest shipping options from different carriers. With rates up to 89% off USPS and UPS rates. And with the Stamps.com mobile app, you can take care of mailing and shipping wherever you are. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Sign up with code PROGRAM for a 4-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's stamps.com. Code program.